Very good. Well, good morning. This morning we want to just pause with our, our culture as we sort of celebrate fathers and fatherhood and just recognizing that we love the idea of wanting to be able to celebrate God as father and to just encourage fathers and fatherhood in the life of our community and, and the communities beyond. And so, uh, you know, it's funny. I love that. I love the boss. That is good. Are you really the boss, Gonok? You are the boss. <laughs> I want to talk to you afterwards. How do you get that status? I don't know how you get that status because I think about my, my father this morning. Usually the things I think about on Father's Day for my father is how he tried to do away with us on so many different occasions and we survived. Um, and it was unintentional as well. Um, I think I've said this one before, but I was just sitting here right now listening to this powerful story um, and, uh, of lack, but therefore those of us who have experienced good and uh, so to, just to weigh that up. So we're driving up to Mount Buffalo. My grandparents lived up in Bright. Really nice place, apparently. And uh, we were going up to Mount Buffalo when it used to have snow. And, uh, and he decided that this day we were going up there, we didn't need um, chains on our, our car because it was a Ford Fairmont, really heavy, and it could just... Was it the Valiant? And, and uh, we were driving up there, and, uh, and Mum had said, we need to get chains, we need to get chains. And Dad said, no, no, we don't need that. Any other? Because it... it um, and, and we're driving up there and then there came the spot, I think it had sort of dropped in temperature and they put out the sign saying, turn off here to get chains. Have you heard this story before? And, and, and it said, get, off, get the chains here. And, and Dad said, no, 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 we, we don't need to pull off. We don't need chains because the car will cope with it. And, uh, and so uh, we drove past the part that had chains. Everyone else is putting chains on their car. Um, and then there's a lot of little hairpin turns up at Mount Buffalo as you're driving up. And I still remember, uh, there, there's still no guardrails on a lot of it, uh, but there was this little little barrier of snow just on the edge that would just kind of like be the barrier that would protect a car from going off the edge. And uh, we got to one spot and we turned and have you heard of something called black ice? Well, we didn't know because it just, it's invisible, right? And uh, he went to turn the corner and he touched the brakes. I still remember all of us, or four boys, mum, dad. And, uh, and, and just seeing the sky coming towards us as we're just skating towards the edge. I still, yeah, I know. And um, as we're skating towards the edge, everyone was totally silent. You know how they say everything just collapses into one moment that could last forever in those moments just before you're about to go off the edge? Well, that happened to us. And, and then that little, little tuft of snow just stopped us, <laughs> just, just stopped us from going off. And that was it. Mum lost it. She said, that's it. I'm getting out. I'm not going one step further. She gets out and everyone's saying, no, mum, don't get out. Don't get out. She gets out and she slips everywhere because it's black ice. And dad's saying, get back in the car, Norma. Get back in the car. The kids are saying, no, mum. You know, somehow we pushed the car around and went back down and demanded from the people that we'd done the bookings for all the skis that they give us chains and they give us free, <laughs> free, free, a free go the next day because we'll take up chains with us to go up skiing. That was my great grandparents involved. That's, that's one of the most, yeah, that sticks with me on Father's Day. <laughs> Happy Father's Day, Dad. Really appreciate you. <laughs> uh, well, today we want to pause and I want to try and do two things. I want to join the posture series we've, we've been doing these past weeks with this theme of fatherhood and, and try and combine the two. Because um, what we have going and been talking about these last weeks is the idea of what does it look like for a Jesus person to inhabit no longer the center, because that's 
We no longer hold those people who follow Jesus, no longer hold the center of culture. They're, they're, if you like, spread out throughout the whole. And the reflex might be, for some, is to say, we actually want to reclaim the center. But what we've been discovering is that actually Jesus is spread all throughout. In fact, he's on the margins as well. So we've been talking about the idea of what it means for a Jesus follower to inhabit a new posture in the world in this complex and sometimes very complicated spheres of our lives. And so we've talked about inhabiting them without judgment. You no longer have to play the role of being the moral watchdog. Isn't that good? We no longer have to wag fingers, except for where there's issues of justice or injustice where there's vulnerable. Then there's an increase, if you like, or there's an incline towards wanting to do something about that. And that's something that comes from the the prophets that we read about in the Bible. To inhabit our spaces with a heart to serve, to do this to the spheres in which we inhabit wherever we are. Lift up rather than put down. If you like to inhabit them with a sense of gratitude for what God has done, his His invaded this world, he's defeated death, he's overcome the power and the disease of sin, he transforms people's lives and so you can live and inhabit this world with a sense of gratitude, he's got your back. And then last week Yvonne talked about living in spaces with ambiguity because sometimes you actually don't know what the thing is to do so you might feel a little bit torn if you like or pulled in different directions and so one of the things if you like for a Jesus follower is to often say, Jesus how would you like me to to inhabit this space, it feels really ambiguous right now. And over the next week, we want to talk about radical kindness. And the week after that, hope. But today, I want to talk about the idea of inhabiting the world with courage. To be able to inhabit this world with a sense of courage. And what I want to say to to the dads out there and to everyone is that when someone follows Jesus... If you draw a line in the sand, if you hold certain beliefs or values, sooner or later in this world, they'll be challenged, they'll be stretched, they'll be tested. So to approach this world with a sense of courage is what is needed as well. Last week, I was down at the driving range. Now, I don't want you to get the idea over these past weeks that I spend all of my time down at the driving range or playing golf because I don't. I go there because I need to practice and I go there on my days off. And I went there last week and I found that there was a young boy in the booth next door and he had an iron and it was far too big for him. So he was holding it near the top and and he was just swinging that thing to try and hit the ball in front of him. The the funny thing or the scary thing in that moment was that that when he missed the ball, it swung towards me and would hit a pole in between the two of us. And it was a metal pole, so it had this big ringing sound. And so as I'm trying to line up, I've got one eye on the ball and the other eye on the booth next door, wondering when that iron's going to be sort of released. And, and then you'd hear it clunk right next to you. And then there were sometimes you'd swing and the ball would hit the roof. I've done that before too. Um, and it would shudder. And so you're constantly in this sort of fragile state of not knowing uh, what would happen. But in the booth next door to him was his dad. And every time he swung and hit the ball, his dad would say, well done, that's great, that's awesome. And he'd call out how far he'd hit the ball. He'd say, you hit it 40. Yeah, I said, 40 that way. And he said, oh, you hit that 50. Yeah, 50 that way. You hit that 60, that's great, and that way. And uh, I thought this was just, just great listening. He'd come and give a little bit of instruction behind the booth. Keep swinging, keep swinging. And then he'd go back and start swinging himself. Well, on the way out, 
there he was. He had his little boy lined up and he had the golf ball on the tee. And there's a creek down where we are. And he just wanted him to hit the ball over the creek, right? Just do something adventurous. And he's lining up there and I'm walking past. The kid looks at me as though, I don't know, my dad's wanting me to do this. <laughs> and he's swinging like this. And I think he hit it. And the next thing I heard was, that's okay. It went in the creek, you know. And as I walked away, I chuckled to myself and I muttered, well done, dad. That's really good. You see, there's some things a parent needs to instill in their kids as they're growing up. There's three things in the adolescent stage. One, develop a sense of trust. Number two, a sense of autonomy. You have your own agency, you have your own self, your own your identity. And the third thing is that you can navigate the world around you. If you like, parenting can be, and I was reading something once, it's observed different parenting styles, and I'm going to liken them to chickens. Um, there's different styles they're saying you can parent with. One of them is the um, free-run style of chickens, where there's actually no boundaries whatsoever, and they can go as far as they want. And if there's any dangers out there, they'll soon learn that the world isn't always happy with them. The other style of parenting on the other side is towards the, the chickens in those cages, where Parents and families can be very quite more controlling and protect their kids. And as a result of that, they said, if you like, they can be compared to a little bit like that, caged and sort of always wanting to make sure that you're protected. And then they advocated for, I think it's the free-range chickens. That's my words. The idea is somewhere in between these two poles, there's this ability to be able to navigate the world around you and to come back to spaces of safety. They talk about the idea of it's not that the if you like, chickens need to be productive. It's that you're guiding them as a parent, as a dad, to be able to navigate the world around about them and instill with them certain tools. Someone described it like this. When their daughter was going to the doctor, they would say, I want you to think about a question that you can ask the doctor, which instilled in the child that, oh, I'm allowed to ask a question. Number two, that the doctor might actually be interested in the question that I have. Someone else described it as, you know, you could actually go shopping. And as you're going shopping, you'd whisper to the child with you, now, what is it that you want? And would you explain it to the attendant that we're going to talk? This idea of being able to develop their sense of agency. I tried that once. I thought it was time when one of my children would be able to um, pour petrol for themselves. And we're going on a family trip. And I thought, now is the time to apply that stuff. And so I did. I got out and I said to one of my children, would you come out with me and I want you to actually, here's the pump, here's the cap, you open it up. You know, the first time you teach them how to pour petrol. Not, not, not there, but just there. And, and they turn the pump on and we're pumping away and I'm standing right next to them and all of a sudden the pump stopped. And this pump's not working. What's going on? And then the attendant comes out of the service station and says, excuse me, sir, how old is this child? I'm like... Why are you asking me that question? The pump doesn't work. And then she pointed to that sign on the post there, you know. What's the age you're supposed to be? 16. And then my child looks at me and goes, thanks, Dad. <laughs> I'm trying to give you agency in this world. <laughs> Big fail. But see, the idea behind it is powerful role of a dad, of a parent, is to be able to encourage. Bible doesn't say too much about parenting. It's as easy as this. In fact, there's a few chapters in Proverbs. There's a few other little passages that come out, but by and large, it's not a manual for parenting. 
But it says this, children, obey your parents. That's it. Full stop. Done. Easy, hey? That's it. That's all I have to say today. Children, just obey your parents. But then the next part comes on. It just talks to dads, which I find curious. Fathers, don't make your children angry by telling them dad jokes. <laughs> because it will, the words exacerbate. And so the idea here is this mutuality. Is actually first there's a father that wants to say, I don't want to provoke you just without any good intention. What I want to do is protect you and guide you and cheer you on. And equally, children, learn to know that your parents won't be perfect, but if you can actually see their kindness and surrender yourself to that, you will actually be learning a great tool in your life that there's always someone above you. And if you can receive instruction then that will bode well for you in life ahead because we all need to receive instruction most powerfully from God. That's the first thing I want to say this morning. Be an encourager. Help young people navigate the world to encourage. Second thing I want to share about this morning is I think a profound key idea that dads can play it's to be able to teach their kids that there's times in this life where they need to take courage. As I said, if you want to navigate this world, you quickly realize that the world doesn't start with a blank canvas. There's temptations within. There's temptations outside. If you draw a line, hold a value, own your, a faith that's real and true to you, that's going to be challenged and tested, if you like, in invariably numerous different ways in the course of your life. So one of the roles I think a dad can play, a parent can play, is to be able to pull them in close and say, and I want you to know that there'll be times in your life in which you need to learn to take courage. And to explore that this morning, if you've got a Bible with me in the time we have remaining, what I'd like to do is look at Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus himself was challenged in a wilderness space. And this is how it goes. Then Jesus was led out into the wilderness. He'd just been baptized and by his cousin John, and he was about to start and prepare for his ministry. He'd been baptized in the water, and it said the spirit like a dove had come down upon him. And in that moment, if you like, where heaven and earth met, and Jesus, sensing the affirmation and the love of his father, it says the spirit spirits him out into the wilderness where he was to be tested by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and at the end of it, he was famished. It's interesting if we pause there for a moment. There's a word in here or an idea that kind of clunky in our generation and the time in which we inhabit. That has to do with the idea of there being another power, another force that's opposite to God. Not equal and opposite as though they're two opposing equal forces, but rather in Jewish tradition, there's always been this concept. There's humans and the created world of which God has made, but also within that, there's an adversary. Someone lurking behind the scenes that's personified in various ways and given different names that wants to seek to subvert and to destroy and pull apart. I know in our scientific age, it might feel like that seems antiquated, but that's something that's run through the tradition of the Bible and that we people's different experiences. Doesn't mean you have to be afraid of it, 
just means you need to be aware of it because of who Jesus is and what he's done. Well, at the end of that 40 days, which kind of like seems like that wilderness wandering of the Israelites, if you might recall that or not, it says that Jesus was hungry. And this is what the adversary came and said. The tempter approached him and said this, if you really are God's son, tell these stones to become bread. (laughs) The sense here is that not if you are, but since you are God's son, you're hungry right now. Why don't you use your privilege, your power, and your status to just turn these stones into bread? Eat it, and you'll be satisfied. Jesus, he replies, and he says this, It takes more than bread to keep you alive. You actually live on every word that comes out of God's mouth, quoting some words from those wilderness wanderings in those centuries before from the Israelites. Jesus, he senses this temptation, whether it be outside him or inside him, and he says no. Well, it goes on. It says, and the devil took him off to a holy city, the holy city, and stood him on the pinnacle of the temple. This is Herod's temple that he's building. This most awesome architectural piece of a building that's just been constructed and being constructed at the time. And in perhaps his mind's eye, Jesus is transported to the pinnacle, the top of that temple where God dwells. And the tempter comes to him and he says, You're about to launch your ministry, right? How would it be if you climbed up to the top of the temple and and, and you just flung yourself down? Because it says this, if you really are God's son, the Bible says that God will give his angels a command about you and they will carry you in their hands so that you won't hurt your foot against a stone. He's quoting a psalm here that's talking about the overwhelming sense of God's refuge and love towards those who love him. And that he will protect them and guard them. And so the the temptation is, why don't you throw yourself down and, and God will actually just send his angels and pick you up. That would be awesome. Imagine if you started your ministry like that. I mean, the people would wow I mean, you could imagine how many social media followers would instantly just be on on your social media Facebook. You could become an influencer. I mean, you wouldn't just have thousands or millions, but you would have gazillions of people following you. And, And then you could imagine then the people that would cheer for you. I mean, you could be famous overnight. And Jesus, hearing all these things, feeling all of these things, sensing all of these things, He responds and he says this. The Bible also says that you mustn't put the Lord, your God, to the test. You see, I know who my dad is. And I know what he's like. And I won't do that. I don't want your fame. I don't want those accolades. That's not what I'm on about. And so a third time it says... The tempter comes. And again, perhaps it's in his mind eye. It says the devil took him off again, this time to a very high mountain, perhaps a mountain where he could see 
so many of the kingdoms of the world in his imagination. And then it says, there he showed him all of the magnificent kingdoms and their glory and their might and their power. And he says to them, he says to Jesus in this moment, I'll give you the whole lot if you will fall down and worship me. Wow. You see, in Jesus' mind, he's being offered everything. And it's as though the tempter is coming to him and saying, together, you and I could take over the world. And the implication is with the sword. Rome would fall. All of the kingdoms of the world would fall and you would have everything. There would be nothing that your desires wanted that you would not have and you could dominate and rule everything with your power and your status and your position. You could use your authority and if you joined me, we could have it all. And Jesus in that moment, he hears in the ruminations of his mind, what's at stake? And he says this, get out and get away from me. It says you should worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. You see, Jesus knew what was at stake. What was at stake was this, not only his very integrity, but how he'd run his ministry. Would he use his authority and power to satisfy his own desires and his own wills and his own pleasures? Or would he actually resist those and walk the path that his father had given him and that he received? Put it another way, God doesn't have an ego as though he needs people to worship him. He just understands the way human beings are, that we become what we worship and Jesus knew in that moment that if he bowed down and worshipped the adversary, the adversary would infect him. And sooner or later, he would love and manipulate and slander just like him. He would become exactly like him. But he also knew that if you worship the one true living God, you will become just like him. And so he tells him to go away. No, no, no. I was speaking with someone last week who said that recently there was a survey done by Australians and an Australian marketing company that asked a group of people who'd been disengaged from church life, what's the main inhibitor from them returning? And they said this, it's the abuse of power by institutions, including the church, when it comes to young people. And perhaps the lack of apology. Wow. I wonder if part of a posture needs a posture of sorry. Power and how you use it. I wonder if that's given rise, if you like, if there's any parallel between those things and the rise of, um, I'm not even sure how it goes, um, celebrity pastors. <laughs> around the world and how in the last few years there's been spectacular fails 
One of them, and I don't put his face up here to point the finger at him, but rather just to tell a, sto a, a story about it. That yes, power plus lack of accountability plus time equals corruption, but his name was Ravi Zacharias. I have a number of his books on my shelf. Someone who led a great ministry, he died a few years ago, and after he died, it all came out. The challenging thing was that I read an article by a lady who had asked Ravi Zacharias, who's a great apologist, uh, set up their ministry in Oxford. Many people, and I knew people who went and studied under him, uh, that just soon after, when all of this disturbance came out, the whole thing just collapsed overnight is that a lady had actually pulled him in and asked him to speak to his, her young leaders in her class. And they asked, how is it that you guard yourself from the powers inside and outside? And he talked about how he would do that. And he, she said it took eight minutes for him to describe how he made sure he had protective mechanisms in place for, he called them the gold, the girls, and the glory. She said, tragically... I realized after all these things came about that it was in the very time in which he was addressing our class, he was actually neck deep in the things that he was doing, which made it even more difficult because you realize the truth is that humans, we can even lie to ourselves and others. And so this morning... I don't want to end on a really sad note, but a somber one and a powerful one. So I think there's a role of men and women to play, but dads, I want to talk to you today about encouraging. There's a role you play to encourage, but there's also a role you play in taking courage. To be able to pull in a young woman and a young man, a daughter and a son, and say, you know what? There are times in our lives where you'll be tested and challenged. And there are some times in which you will trip up and stumble. But I want you to know that you can take courage. I want you to think about this passage in the Bible. It goes like this. My dear family, if someone is found out in some trespass, then you, the spiritual ones, should set such a person right in a spirit of gentleness. I love that. Because so often when the church has been the ones who has pointed the finger and wagged it sometimes as being the moral watchdogs, when their own people fail, they do the same to them. I want to be part of a community that recognizes there's times in which we will cross lines and there's consequences. There will be times in which you will be caught up in things that seem like they've got control of you. But I want this to be a place where you know that when you bring it out into the light, that there are people who will help with gentleness, restore and encourage and be alongside you. You see, if I, I love this idea of carry each other's burdens and in that way, you will be fulfilling the very laws of what it means to follow Jesus. Man's going to come up now. In our time that we have remaining, if I could talk to those dads and pulling in young daughter, young son, I'd put it in these words. 
Teach them to laugh at their own press. Sometimes we can get grandiose ideas in our heads about how magnificent we are. Has anyone ever experienced that? <laughs> An idea pops into your head and you think, where did that come from? I just inflated myself so much. Just in a simple way, you can say to them and to yourself, when your inner press is telling you how great you are, just be in the habit of being aware of it and having a good, good little chuckle. Two weeks ago, I was walking in the hallway and one of those thoughts just jumped into my head. And I laughed. So what are you laughing about? I'm laughing because I just had this great press moment. <laughs> it wasn't true. How do you protect yourself sometimes from the... Well, be, be aware of what you say is beneath you. Because what I find is in this world, when you say things are beneath you, in God's kingdom, you set the bar above you. Be careful about who you say or what you say is beneath you, because it will actually bring out a habit in you that says, people are here to serve me rather than me serve them. It's really good. And lastly, I'd want them to know, you know what? Be honest with yourself and with Jesus. Because we can tell ourselves lies. I'd love to be able to ask Ravi Zacharias, when did it start? Did it start way back here with just a little temptation of turn stones into bread? Just to satisfy that little. And when did it morph? Was there a time in which you thought, I, I, could, I, could, I could get out of this if I just tell someone and you didn't? Because you felt that they would judge you or you're afraid or maybe you were ashamed which is huge or maybe there was a time in which you looked back and you said it's too big and you'd forgotten that God's grace is so big and so wide that he even died for that as well and there's victory to be had there it says if the son of man has set you free you'll be free indeed I believe that to be true. So I'm going to pray here this morning as we finish off our time and then have a chance to sing. And pray for all you dads who are watching online, dads who are here, dads who are would-be dads and parents in general, granddads. If you'd like to receive from God this morning, I just pray that whatever it is that he's spoken to you about, he'll give you the grace and the power to put it in action. So God, here in this place this morning, we thank you. Thank you for the words of encouragement, to encourage and to take courage. Would you help us do that? Right here in this place now. Wherever it is that you need to meet people, Father, I ask that you might meet us now by your Spirit. Bring healing and hope and life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.